Welcome back to Real Talk, everyone. I'm Casey, and I'm here with Danielle and Saida. Hello, hello. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're in a good mood today. Okay, um, so we're talking about the arts um, in community. We're well, we're going to talk about all kinds of things, I suppose. So we haven't had the conversation, so we'll see. But one thing that I'm excited to talk about with our guests today is the ways that we who work in education, as teachers, as social workers, as um, all kinds of folks like in, in, in the education system, how we bring the whole of ourselves, how we bring the arts um, into our communities. What a big job it is to be a social worker, to work in schools. Um, what an important community function we serve. And our guest, who Saeed is going to introduce, yeah. embodies all of that. You used my word, embodies. Mm. I don't want to say it too much. What do you think about that? What a connection. <laughs> so joining us today, we have the pleasure of having an individual who embodies, I told you I had it, mm. commitment to their craft, community, and ensuring youth success. By teaching important values like discipline and following directions, Chelsea Little-Hughes, owner of the dance studio CR & Co., is also a social worker in the public school system and uses her various platforms to ensure that the youth learn transferable skills that will be of use later in life. Chelsea personifies the motto of her hometown and my hometown mm. of New York, which is Excelsior. Mm. Hello, Chelsea. That was mad professional. Hello, that was amazing. Yes. Oh, oh God. God. <laughs> Don't <laughs> tell the other guests. <laughs> Thank you so much, you guys. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, of course. Love it. Thanks for coming on. So I mentioned our hometown. She's from the Bronx as well. Oh. Not oh, just Lord. New York. We're from the Bronx. Oh, Lord. New York. Specific about that. We love that. <laughs> so Excelsior is the motto of the city. Except Staten Island. But y'all gonna put some respect. I don't, know. <laughs> Let me saying. I don't know those people like that. <laughs> I was gonna ask you where you're from, but I stole that thunder from you. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Why dance? I dance, right. So I was born in the Bronx. Hey, yo. Like you said. Um, uh, to married parents, but I am also a product of a two parent household with a stepfather. Mm -hmm. um, my stepfather is from Bridgeport, Connecticut. So mm. we came here. My grandparents, actually, my maternal grandparents came here from Buffalo. My grandfather was the executive director of the housing authority here in New Haven. Mm -hmm. um, they moved here a few years before I was born. And then a few years after I was born, when I was still living in the Bronx, he passed away. Leaving my grandmother widowed here in New Haven with no friends or family. Mm -hmm. She was a kindergarten teacher at Worthington Hooker School for 25 years. Mm. So when my mom met my stepfather and everything just kind of meshed together, our family, our very small, intimate family settled here in Connecticut. So I was raised a little bit in Bridgeport, a little bit in New Haven, but my heart is always in the Bronx. Mm. And I don't know why. I just, you know, <laughs> um, I'm a graduate of Career High School and also a graduate of Virginia State University and New York University. Hey. So, so I received my bachelor's and master's in social work at both universities. Hmm. And somehow I ended up back here, but I am very happy here. I was actually thinking about it earlier um, when I was talking to one of the guest speakers at the school that I work at. And she's like, what made you come back to New Haven? Mm -hmm. And I think it was, it was a little more difficult to live in the city alone mm. versus living in the city with my parents. By the time I finished college and I moved back to the Bronx, my entire family had either moved south, mm. like Virginia, North Carolina, mm -hmm. or north, like Connecticut, Massachusetts, Rhode Island. So living there alone was super expensive. Yep. Mm -hmm. It was overwhelming. My car was stolen and booted so many times. Oh, I no. can't even. So I'm happy to be back here and kind of making things full circle mm. because I, um, I didn't even know like really what a social worker was until high school here in New Haven. Mm. Yeah, what had you, did you, what was that moment in high school when you 
new? Was it, I, I mean, I know a lot of people who go into social work, they have a positive experience themselves with a social worker. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm a teacher because of the kind of teachers that I had. And I was like, I want to do that for other people. Um, so why, why social work? Great question. Um, so I, the only idea of social work that I had as a child was child welfare. Mm, right. like social workers are people that steal kids out of their homes from their parents, like super negative connotation to the field. Um, and then I kind of had another idea of social work. I had a really good friend. Um, she was Jamaican. Her mom was actually from Jamaica. She Yum. moved here to give birth to her. <laughs> And her mom was a foster parent. Mm-hmm. So I remember seeing the night at her house a lot. And the, her, her mom would have a DCF worker come to the house, maybe monthly, just to do like visits with the foster kids. And I remember asking my friend, who was an only child at the time, I'm like, wow, how cool is it that you like get siblings and they get to live with you? <laughs> and she's like, um, my mom just has them because she gets paid <laughs> every month. And I just remember like, being so ashamed and looking at her mom so differently after that because I'm like, what? Your mom takes kids in just for the money? Like, she doesn't really like them? Like, she doesn't want them? So that was my second idea of what a social worker was, right? It's either someone taking kids out of your home or someone placing kids in a home. And so then I got to high school here and I had a friend, loved her to death, but she always, like, went missing every, like, third period. I'm like, where are you? She said, oh, I'm talking with the school social worker. I'm like, mm what is a school social worker? Is that like the guidance counselor like that I see mm-hmm. once a year when I pick my classes? Right. And she said, oh, she said, um, she is adopted and her adoptive mom changed her last name. And she was having some identity issues with that, like the struggle between like wanting to be loyal to her biological parents that she mm-hmm. has no connection to anymore and wanting to be grateful about this new adopted family that really loves her. Mm-hmm. She said, yeah, so she gives me counseling sessions weekly. I was like, that's dope. I want to do that. Mm. That's literally how I decided that I wanted to be a social worker. Um, And I just went and just followed it through. I I found schools that had social work programs. Mm. And my idea was actually to stay in New Haven for a stupid reason. And my mom wasn't letting that happen. (laughs) (laughs) Like like a boyfriend who I like have no communication with in 2023. My mom's like, no, you, you have to go away. And here are your options like laid out and I just picked Virginia State I never even saw it mm. honestly I think I applied at a college fair they accepted me wow. along there okay. ended up at this historically black college hey, uh, I actually wanted to go to VSU like really bad really yeah I had never even seen it but then I, I went on a black student tour yeah mm. a HBCU tour on, um, what was it called college college hill oh yeah oh you did not <laughs> Not so I, was, I went in the, in the bookstore and I bought the DVD oh, no. and watched all the, all the episodes. And I was like, I'm in the right place. This is about to be the best four years of my life. <laughs> so I ended up, I had a little, um, I had a hard time a little bit really trying to commit to social work because they, there were some super high expectations in the curriculum. Mm. And I wasn't, uh, I wasn't really a scholar in the beginning. I okay. was kind of playing. I was a bare minimum girl. Like, I'm mm-hmm. trying to pass, but I don't really want to put in the work to pass. Mm-hmm. And my advisor, she straight up told me, like, your grades are trifling and you got to retake all these classes to get in my program. <laughs> and I was like, um, no, I'm not staying back in college, right? Like, in my mind, I was in, still in a high school mentality. Like, oh, if I have to take another year, that means I'm staying back. Oh, sure. So I tried to explore every other major on campus. Nope. But I didn't really care about it. You know, I wasn't, like, mm-hmm. as invested in it as I was in the other classes. So, long story short, I did two summer sessions, and I retook that biology 101 and all that other foolishness I didn't care about. And I had to do another year to get my GPA up to, I think it was supposed to be, like, a 2.8 to just to enter the program. Mm-hmm. But it saved my life. Like, honestly, it was the best decision I could have ever made because of how well I did in her program. I got into the advanced standing program at NYU. Wow. So I only did one year for my master's. Oh, wow. Okay. Because yeah. she's a scholar. So so, <laughs> so you did another year, but then you did one less year later. Correct. So it kind of evened itself out. Mm-hmm. It did. It worked out well. Because I don't even think I would have been accepted to an NYU or a Fordham with the GPA that I was carrying at the time. Like, there's no way. Hmm. Mm-hmm. 
I think that's an important message for students listening too, because, um, you know, especially in the pandemic, obviously a, a lot of students who, for a number of reasons, their grades took a hit and I, I, tons of students just drop out of school. Yep. You know, like they, they're like, I can't recover from this um, or I can't do it right now. Um, and they don't think like, oh, this is an opportunity. Like, that's really annoying that I have to do this again, but I know this is not who I am. Right. Um, and that's uh, important. You know what I would say about that? That there's never the perfect time more mm-hmm. than now. Right. right. So a, lot of, a lot of my friends that we're now all in our mid-30s, parenting, full-time jobs, it's so much harder now yep. yeah. than it was 18, 19, 20, 21. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't, I couldn't see that. I couldn't imagine that at 18, 19, 20, 21. Yep. But now at 33, I'm like, oh, my God. Like, I can't imagine working all day, then going to school, staying up all night and doing papers. Like, that was cool when you didn't have many responsibilities. Right. Mm-hmm. The time is really now. It's, it's much easier than we can think in the yeah. moment. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> That's so true. I feel that 100%. There's so many similarities in our story, which is so funny, because I said in our, um, <laughs> I said in our, one of our previous episodes, when I was talking about Tuskegee, didn't I tell y'all? Mm-hmm. I, I had one requisite for going. It had to have gates. I told y'all that. Gated community. Yeah. I never visited. I never saw it. I said, if I get in, I'm going. I wanted to be far from New York. I wanted to be an HBCU. I did that in my first semester. Wow, my grades were trash, too. Garbage. Garbage. They literally brought me into the bursars and they were like, yo, you're not getting no more money until you get these grades up. I was like, oh, my God, I'm in Alabama poor. (laughs) (laughs) But I got it together. I did. You know, you find your way. And while it is harder to go back to school older, my Mm -hmm. focus is so different. Well, grad school. I mean, yeah. That is true. You're more efficient. You are. And you, I I mean, I love as a teacher, I love my non- quote unquote non-traditional students because they have a purpose mm-hmm. right and they don't mess around um and don't they ain't got no time to waste no, like, don't. what's the point right. you know yeah what's the point of wasting time when i came here that was my best part about going away to school mm-hmm. because i didn't know how like close the silver spoon i was until i went away and i was around oh. people who literally came with one suitcase had no bed sheets and they were literally going away to start a new life, a better life. Yeah. My, my sophomore year roommate, she was from Harlem. And she was like, my mom did not want me to go away to school. She's not helping me. Mm-hmm. Like she filed as an independent. She put herself through school versus my mom is like driving me back and forth each semester <laughs> and mm-hmm. making she taking me to Walmart, stocking my refrigerator and things like that. Right. And I, that humbled me. Mm-hmm. Right. That humbled me so much because I'm a third generation college student. My grandmother has a PhD. You know, mm. my mother has a juris doctorate. So it was an expectation for me versus my roommate who is doing this for herself. I was mm. like, what would I? That was big. That was very humbling. It was like a full circle moment. And that made me work harder because then I was like, now you have no reason why you're not doing what you need to do. My mom was paying um, a tuition payment plan. People were dropping out because they did not have the means. Right. Mm-hmm. It's unacceptable. I'm wondering, so you got your grades up, you got into this program, right? What is the most valuable thing you think you learned in your academics in social work? Because when I think of social work, right, I have no idea what your curriculum is. I couldn't even, I can't tell you, and I feel like psychology and social work have so many tangential similarities, but like... What do y'all do? What I literally your, was thinking that. What is like, your what course is load? What is your coursework? <laughs> okay, so let's jog my memory a little bit. <laughs> uh, from what I can remember, there were like four four classes that we took for the two years. So it's like a junior year and a senior year. The first two years of college are all your prerequisites to get into the mm-hmm. program. The junior year and senior year, you're taking human behavior, mm-hmm. you know, learning all those theories, very similar to psychology. Right. Um, taking research, yep. which felt very sciencey for me, but it was mm-hmm. very like written science. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like you're, you're, you're defending basically why these techniques will work in therapy and counseling. Um, that sounds like psychology. Practice, mm-hmm. practice, right? So practice is um, putting together your internship and 
what you're learning from the internship. So practice for me was a lot more impactful yep. because I was actually doing the work. I wasn't learning about the work. I was doing the work and talking about it in class. So mm-hmm. I can talk and write my behind off. I don't, I don't want to take any tests. I don't really want to do all that. That's why research was such a struggle for me. So I was <laughs> like, oh my gosh, this work. Mm-hmm. But um, practice I love because I can go to internship, learn, and then write about it. Yeah. And I, I was learning from writing about the experience. I can't remember what the fourth class was, but it was four. <laughs> it was four. And so in those four classes, you also are holding an internship. I think junior year was somewhere around 12 to 15 hours. And senior year was 18. It might have been 21. Mm-hmm. It was like a part-time job. It, it was, just yeah. keep going up and up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was like a part-time job. So mm-hmm. I remember going to internship Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and I had classes from like 9.30 to 4 on Tuesday, Thursday. Wow. Mm. Four classes. I love that, though, at the same time, because I was doing less classwork and more mm-hmm. kinesthetic work. You know, I'm actually yeah. going um, in Virginia State. I think I worked at Department of Social Services, so it's so different from Connecticut where you have all these different agencies. Social services was everything. It was a building. You got one wing, which is foster care. You got one wing that's adoptions. You got one wing that's child welfare. You got food stamps on the third floor. You you know, so I could kind of float and get as much experience as I wanted just from being in the building. Mm. I I had one short period of time. I thought I might have wanted to do gerontology, which is working with adults. Right. And I liked it. I think I did that for a semester, um, just learning about how many of our grandparents' mm-hmm. population are being manipulated by their family members for their money. Yeah. You know, no one's checking on them, but they're collecting these checks every night, every week, mm-hmm. and living off of their grandparents' things. And like, so investigating those types of cases, it was very different from child abuse cases, but it's just the same, just with older adults that can't advocate for themselves. Mm-hmm. I, I realized that wasn't the population for me, but I can always say I remember having that experience. Yeah. Um, so when I finished BSU, I wasn't really sure, again, like how to kind of navigate myself into the school system, which is where I wanted to be. And I was desperate because I just graduated and I moved to the Bronx with no money and I needed a job. Oof. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so... I um I started off in an outpatient clinic doing in-home therapy, mm-hmm. like in-home clinical case management. It sounds kind of like extra, but really I just went into the homes and, and I bas- basically New York City implemented this program where they were trying to avoid removing kids from their homes. So they were putting in-home programs to prevent that. It's called mm-hmm. preventive services. Okay. I, the... The salary was super low, but it was my first job. I didn't have any, again, I didn't have a car note. I didn't have any real bills. I might have had rent and some groceries. Like, it wasn't that serious. And I still had money to be able to travel. Hmm. I worked from home. They gave us a laptop, a cell phone. We came to the office one day for supervision. Go out, do your visits. Hmm. Oh, okay. I'm in these streets. I'm outside. <laughs> I, was, um, I was traveling every weekend because I could work from home, right? So, home is wherever you are as long mm-hmm. as you're doing right. Mm-hmm. But I have an extreme fear of cats. Oh. Really? I, really I really don't like any animals. Plot Let me twist. Be- <laughs> Can't come to my house. I really don't like any animals, to be honest. <laughs> but I definitely am terrified of cats. Yeah. So if you don't have cases with cats, do you know what you have in the Bronx? Cases with rats. Oh, God. Uh, and I sure. said, I can't live my life. Like, like, I'm afraid to go in these people's houses every day. And I said, I got to get my master's so I can get out of the house. <laughs> so I applied to Fordham and I was rejected. Mm. And I had never been rejected from a school before. I don't know. I don't know if I didn't apply to that many when I was in high school or what, but it, it was a major hit in my heart. Yeah. Just try NYU. And after this, I looked in the NYU, I looked in the Southern, and I looked in the Yukon. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm going to do NYU. If I don't get an NYU, I'm not applying to Southern and UConn. I'm, I'm quitting my life. Like I was like, oh. <laughs> I was like, I do not want to get rejected a second or third time. Yeah. But I got into NYU. So I didn't apply to Southern and UConn because I got in and I got to do my internship at a school, mm. which was great. They kind of give you like a survey on where you want to intern. And 
my whole advanced standing cohort, we were all placed in different settings. So I got to also learn in our practice class about what a hospital setting is like, mm-hmm. what um, clinics are like, what schools are like. You know, I think I was the only one in my cohort in the school. And it was very different. It was, I was in the South Bronx, mm. very impoverished neighborhood. Every kid in the school, it was a middle school school to high school so sixth to twelfth grade every kid in the school was in a four block radius of the school like there are wow. no buses mm-hmm. you walk to school every day it was ms223 i still have my little like letterman jacket they gave me i loved it mm. and i got to kind of float between the middle school and the high school so i can get both experiences and that was the best part of all six years of my college and grad school education is like really being in the city and learning the skills like we we would have to be recorded doing our therapy sessions which was super nerve-wracking mm-hmm. but it teaches you how to learn you had to review it and see like what could you have said differently or how could you have counseled the student differently and things like that so the experience really is what i think the experience part is the what differentiates the psychology versus social work. i was gonna i was just about Not to say quite. like what exactly do you think is the difference between the two you know what it's not even that right because you're talking about it in my senior year in order to graduate we had to do clinicals and I had to here we go yeah one of my past lives um I worked with inpatient um youth and adolescents with special needs and I had to do 20 hours a week. By the end of my semester, I needed to have something like 110 hours of hands-on work. Undergrad? Undergrad. Oh, wow. Undergrad. Is that like towards clinical practice? It sort of must be, right? I mean, yes, but it was... um, So it was an introduction to IEPs. Mm -hmm. So we had to evaluate the severity of the child's needs. Would they be able to go to a regular school? Would they need to go to a specialized school? Would they need to go... Somewhere else, right? So we did IEPs. We did um, behavioral write-ups. So some kids weren't socialized enough to be around other people and in certain proximities. So we had to do that. We had to learn that. Um, we had to learn how to read behaviors. We, ha- I mean, it was all similar to what you're talking about, how to talk to these populations. What should we look for within the population? How can we help, right? So... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I still am unclear what our differences are, but it's all yeah. good. My sister major. Well, no, you know what I thought, not what I think. I thought the difference it was that psychology was a little more broad, where you guys would be a little more able to access a variety of different jobs, not just a social worker job. Does that make sense? Yeah, like, it does. I, I think that's what I thought at the time. Now that I'm a social worker, I know it's kind of the same thing because you don't have to go to school to be a school social worker. You can be, like I said, the hospital social worker, the clinical social worker, like there's mm. the, or a therapist. Like there's so many. It's broad, I think, on both spectrums. Right. I wish I had the, the classes that you had. Mm. If I knew that this is exactly where I was going to be in the school system, like about IEPs. Because oh sure. My intern my my grad school internship, while it was a great place to be, my um internship supervisor was like hating on me a little bit. <laughs> I don't know it was. Um she was of Hispanic descent and we like bonded over that and we bonded over, you know, being natives of the Bronx, but I kinda got the impression that she was a little like jealous of how the kids mm kind of veered towards talking to me instead of her. And so she just made it really difficult and she didn't give me like the necessary training I needed. Mm. So when I graduated, I was absolutely ready to come back to New Haven because of how expensive it was. <laughs> um, and so I commuted at my current job, my BSW job. I commuted three days a week doing visits until I got my first MSW job, which was a social worker for ACES. Are you guys familiar with ACES? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Special ed. Um, yep. And so this particular school, because there's so many schools, ACES, the school I was at was the school for emotional disturbance in the high school. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't want that job. But again, <laughs> I, I'm desperate for a job fresh out of grad school. And I wanted to stop commuting to the Bronx every other day. Right. So I took it. Um, I specifically wanted to be at a middle school, but my principal was on the interview committee for the middle school interview. And he was like, no, 
I want her for my school. Again, I'm desperate. I want the job. So I go to his school and on my first day, he tells me, um, just letting you know, my kids sometimes may sexual harass you. They may grab your boobs. Mm. They may, you know, just, just be careful. And I'm like, what am I doing? here? <laughs> um, I end up loving it. Right. And, but to my deficit on like my third day of the job, they're like, yeah, we have a PPT meeting. You know how to write IEP? I'm like, no. I knew my kids had IEPs in my internships. I might have seen it, but I didn't know about how to write it. What are the labels? What am I looking for? Right. What am I observing? What's important? But I had a really good special ed teacher on my team that just gave me some like on the spot training. Wow. And now as a social worker in a general ed setting, I'm way more marketable because of that special ed hmm. experience. Yeah. Right, because we just actually learned in the podcast we recorded this morning. I didn't know that IEPs are legal documents. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yes, yep. And um, depending on how savvy and knowledgeable the parent is, they will hold it against you. Sure, they will remind you at every instance of opportunity. And if their kids are are super savvy, they'll remind you too. Like mm-hmm. I have a teacher who tells me, who tells not me, the other teachers. If, if he notices an accommodation not being met, he'll say, I will sue you. My IEP is a legal document. <laughs> yep. Thank you, sir. <laughs> right. love to see yeah. It. yeah. He, I was like, how do you even know that? But his parents are doctors. You know what yeah. I mean? Oh, so there it is. Fun. When you have the correct access to your education, um, my most 90% of my kids at ACES were committed to the state. Mm. So ACF. You know, so there weren't people there really advocating for their needs. Right. That's part of why I left. Special. Really? I told y'all that. Yeah. yeah. My out. all of my background is children and youth with special needs, and part of stepping away was just how it was heavy. It was very overwhelming. Um, my clinicals, they were children of the state, all of them. None of them had any family members that were involved with them. Um, come to visit them. So whoever worked at this institution, we were the ones who were Mm -hmm. advocating for them. And some of them are nonverbal, which is quite stressful. But yeah, I totally get that. Mm. I was at ACES for seven years and I stepped away twice within the seven years. The first time was three years. I just wanted a shot at DCF. I I was like, I want to try this. I was at DCS for eight months, not even a full year. Mm. I think I think two months in, I was like, yeah, this isn't working for me. I think because I had to drive to work in a snowstorm and I was so spoiled from school system closings that yeah. I was like, this is life. There's no summer break. Like, this is great. I was like, oh, no, I'm working too hard. And I really felt like, I don't know if you guys remember the Rugrats, the father, yes. Tommy's dad, he was a paper pusher. Do you guys remember that? Yeah. yeah. I felt like Tommy's dad. I was like, oh. I literally doing paperwork all day. I'm not saving lives. Mm. I am not affecting change. Mm. That's what I really set out to do. And my principal loved me. He, he hired me right back at ACES. I came back and I did three more years. But again, like you said, it was draining. Like how many deaths are going to be thrown before I, I like get tired of it? And so I, again, I always wanted to be with younger kids. But I was still at that high school. And so I took a job at a charter school in New Haven, in elementary school, and I realized younger kids, yeah. the younger general ed kids, were crazier than my special ed. <laughs> I mean, I was running around chasing mm-hmm. kids. I for the first time in my life, I had to um, do like PMT restraint. Yeah, because at that young age, you don't know how to articulate your emotions and your feelings, so you're trying to hurt yourself. Right. Not so much of them trying to hurt others. It's like mm-hmm. not able to articulate I'm mad or I'm sad or I'm frustrated. And I said, I don't want to go to work every day to restrain kids. This is crazy. Like, yeah. I don't want to do this. And so I actually got to a point where I just quit mm. in the middle of a school year. I said, I can't do this. I at the time I do. I own a dance studio. So I said, I will struggle and survive off of my dance studio until I can figure out what I want to do in social work. And now I'm back social working at a New Haven public 6th to 12th grade school. Mm. And I love it. I love it. Um, I think because of the hours, mm. that also makes a significant difference. At the elementary school I was at last year, I was at work from 7.15 to 
Wow. And then dance at 4.30. I'm rushing. I'm like Oof. sneaking out of the building at 4 to rush to dance to open at 4.15. Like it's crazy. Mm. So now at the school I'm at, I'm there from 7.15 to 2. I have two hours and some change to go home, change my clothes, do whatever I need to do before I start opening up dance if I have to teach on that particular day. Mm. I think there's some really important lessons in all those things that you're sharing. I mean, first, um, I think like in in education right now in general, like the burnout and the turnover is super high. Mm -hmm. And I think it's also true that like, you don't know what it's going to be like to work for DCF until you do it. And if it's not for you, like it's important to know that you can step away and find another space where you can be. Um, And I love that you have, you know, moved around and learned a lot and then found a place where you can do the work that you need to do. Cause those spots are there and that's it for somebody else. But um, I think people stay too long at places where they shouldn't stay and then they do harm to themselves and their families and other people um, because of that. So I think that piece is super important. Um, And I just, you know, you're just casually talking about, oh yeah, I own a dance studio. Um, (laughs) I, I mean... Being a social worker seems like, I mean, that's enough, like as a contribution mm-hmm. to your community. Mm-hmm. Like, that's good. I think you sort of, you know, that's plenty. Um, and I'm curious about, I mean, I'm curious about the connection between the two. Like you're both things, like you're always a, a dance instructor and I assume and also a dancer, right? I don't know anything <laughs> about the world of dance. I have a new baby, but um, who I assume will be based on her movements at eight months. I think she'll be a dancer. Um, <laughs> but like, you're always both like, yeah. like you, you have both, even if you're like, you're at work, you still are who you are. Um, and then when you're at the studio, you're also still a social worker. So you have like both things going on. And I'm so curious about how the two of those feed off of each other and how, like, I, I mean, a, a dance studio serves the community too, but I think you do, from what Saida has said, mm-hmm. in a way that is, is not an ordinary place. You are absolutely correct. So my love for dance actually started in New Haven. <clears throat> so since my grandmother always lived here, I was always here. I was here for summers. I was here for weekends and things like that. And so she would take me to shows, like to mm-hmm. see... Uh, Harlem Dance Theater and Alvin Ailey. She would take me to shows mm. in the city. I love that. And I had no rhythm when I started. <laughs> I, think, I think my mom put me in like the liturgical dance group at church at first. Oh. <laughs> so as long as you're, you're praising So there's God, hope for people out there. Yeah. Oh, God. Right. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah. I wanted to, I think I had a friend who danced at DD's Dance Center in New Haven and I went to her recital and I was like, I want to get on that stage like mm. them and I want to do that. So I, I danced from third to 12th grade. Ooh. Um, yeah, I, I loved it. I took everything and I went to Virginia State thinking I was like the baddest thing. And there was like the baddest thing from every other state there, too. Yeah. And that was humbling um, because I for the first time in my life, I had to try out for a dance team. Mm. I had to um, run for offices for my dance team. I was the president and dance captain in different years. Mm. And again, competing against other people who are also awesome leaders and awesome dancers. But I, that's when I learned that being a dancer, a choreographer and a teacher are three different things. Right. So I was always a great dancer in New Haven, but then when you try out to be a dance captain, now you're a choreographer, but then you're also instructing. Are you a good teacher? They're like three different elements. And so I did have a little teaching experience at DD's when I got to my junior year Edie had an after-school program with New Haven Public Schools. I think it was Catherine Brennan, Beecher, and Wexler. And they would get bused to the after bus the dance school after school from 3 to 4.30. And we would teach them jazz, hip-hop, and ballet. And I was like 16 teaching these eight-year-olds. And I just, I, I would feel so empowered. We would give them a recital at the end of the year. And she would award a scholarship for the best attendance um, to the studio. So like kids who can't afford dance school will be able to come for free for a full year. I love being able to select that kid. I love being able to be a part of that process. So when I finished grad school and I moved back here, I was teaching at a local studio, Tia Russell Dance Studio. I was Mm -hmm. teaching ballet and I was teaching the three to four year olds. 
I've always loved teaching three or four year olds, but because I was also working as a social worker, mm-hmm. I decided to implement um, some of those like life skills, um, interpersonal skills. So still to this day, when I teach three to four year olds, we start with circle time. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't really care about dance. And so after everyone sit in a circle, has sat down in a circle, shared their name and one positive thing that they want to share. It can be your favorite color. Um, it can be how happy you are that it was sunny this morning. It can be your birthday's coming up. We're going to learn how to sing happy birthday. And I I teach them a lot of like taking your turn, listening when someone else is talking, um, standing up and having that self-confidence to say your name. Mm -hmm. And even if they don't want to share anything else, everyone has to stand up and say their name Mm -hmm. because one, it's giving them that confidence and that social emotional um, learning that they need to have before Mm -hmm. they get to kindergarten. Because like you mentioned with COVID, so many of us are lacking those interpersonal skills because mm-hmm. we've been behind the computer for three years. Like, mm-hmm. no, we're going to sit in the circle. We're going to learn how to hold hands and stand up, enunciate, and learn how to speak to each other and positively. And um, from then, I think, and actually I started my dance studio in 2020. Oh, wow. Mm. Yeah, I left um, Tia Russell after the world shut down. And I didn't think I was going to teach again. And one of my dance parents reached out to me when the world started to open up a little bit, like the soft open up. Mm-hmm. And she was like, oh, um, my daughter can't wait to see you again. She's coming back to dance. And I was like, oh, call me. Like, I didn't want to put it on Facebook. I was like, call me. I was like, oh, I'm not teaching anymore. She's like, OK, well, where are you going? We're, we're coming wherever you are. I was like, I'm not going anywhere. She's like, you should start your own. I was like, no, I'm not starting a dance studio. First of all, the world just shut down. People are without jobs. I was like, I ain't starting no dance studio. Like, that's unrealistic. <laughs> she said, well, why don't you try a dance team, like a competition team? And my things started to, wheels started turning for me because I've never competed. Didi's was a recreational dance studio. And it was the best opportunity for me. But I, a little bit, I always wanted to compete a little bit. And I was like, oh, my God. So long story short, I started VR and Co. with 20 dancers. It's like a pilot idea. Mm-hmm. And today we have 200. Wow. And, yes. Three years later, we have 200 students. Um, 48 of them are competitive. I think 50 of them are preschool and then the rest are traditional dance students. And like we've exceeded our studio space. I'm like shopping around for larger studios. Um, I have this great dance mom who does calligraphy for me every month. <laughs> the, um, <laughs> every little theme that we have going on in the studio. But um, honestly, I've been able to implement a lot more of those social work skills now that it's my studio. So mm-hmm. like every month having a team bonding activity for the comp students. Uh, one of my intermediate groups, they did um, cake, cake decorating. Hmm last week last saturday and it sounds like just something fun for them to do but they learned the art and they were able to do it together it has nothing to do with dance but it's mm-hmm. a time that they had outside of a structured activity mm. to bond together and it's so important it's so important and i like um saida will tell you because she's heard me i think she might have even been here a dance parent will come in and you know there's this whole Thing around gentle parenting and I'm not a parent yet but I, I am not a gentle dance teacher I don't gentle dance teacher uh-huh. I, I um, I'm very loving and I'm very nurturing but I have a very structured classroom environment mm-hmm. yeah. so this dance grandma came in and she overheard me teaching ballet and you know stand up still hands on your hips look forward no talking you know I'm very direct about my instruction she said can you talk a little softer when you talk to my child? And I said, no. And she just looked at me like, no. I said, dance is discipline. Mm. Dance is structure. She's safe. She's unharmed. And she's going to get all of this dance love here. If this is not what you want from her, then she doesn't need to be here. And she said, no, 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 it's fine. And she kind of understood right. the method of my madness. Mm-hmm. She's getting much more than just a time doing a plie in dance class. She's learning the craft. She's focused. And that's something that I think a lot of classrooms struggle with mm-hmm. in a general ed setting. Absolutely. Classroom management. Yeah. It's that balance between learning the lesson and 
knowing that your teacher loves you and cares mm-hmm. about you and the structure of it all. So I try to do, I try to implement all of that. Like even like in the preschools, um, I, I broke up my studio into three different programs, mm-hmm. the competitive program, the traditional program and the preschool program, mm-hmm. because I do, I do want to be sensitive about my preschool students. They don't need to just learn dance. They need a little bit of everything. Okay. So each month we have a theme. And um, this month's theme was Women's History Month. And I was really like on my hands and knees teaching these babies about black dancers, oh. black female dancers. Mm. Um, and I, I implemented like these little mini lessons and, and the chants and they were chanting back at me. And then I'll come in the next week and they'll say, are we learning about Debbie Allen today? I'm like, no, we're learning about Catherine Dunham today. They're like, okay. You know, they're so excited. Okay. <laughs> and then we make um, TikTok videos mm-hmm. of the theme. Oh. So they're able to participate and it's fun for them because we celebrate everything. And so I like being able to implement those like little social emotional lessons mm-hmm. in addition to dance instruction. I love that. I think I think it's interesting to to come at it from a way that even the education system is struggling to kind of come at it from of just like marrying you know, the discipline of study of X, Y, Z, one, two, three with social and interpersonal skills. Cause I think that people don't realize how much of that is part of whatever education you are getting. It's not just about the school, but it's about the the structure of it, the way that you're, you know, understanding how to critically think, understanding how to be in partnership and communion with other people. And, you know, people that may not have be, may, may not be like, the people that you've been raised around, you know, different ideologies, different looks. Um, so I, I love the way that you that you're structuring that. It's funny because Saida told me where you are and someone <laughs> else that works here told me where you are. And you are literally around the corner from my house. Like, like I can walk to you in maybe three minutes. I'm going to drop my daughter off so you can take her to class. <laughs> I, I love that, too, though, because even with me shopping around for new studios, I'm so big on wanting to stay close to the committee, the mm-hmm. community. Mm-hmm. I want it to be accessible to parents who may have to utilize public transportation. Mm-hmm. I want it to be accessible to, um, I have like a couple of students right now who are sponsored by community organizations, right? Mm-hmm. So if they're utilizing a transportation company, I want them to be able to find the studio. Mm-hmm. That's so, so important to me. Um, being able to also make the students understand the therapeutic component of dance as well. Mm. In addition to the therapeutic component, it's life skills. Mm-hmm. So I had a conversation um, with my boyfriend and his daughter yesterday. His daughter dances. She's 15. She's on my competitions. And I asked her, do you think you're going to compete again next year? Which was a trick question. Because, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and she, was like, um, she was like, I don't know, maybe. And I was like, what do you mean maybe? Like, where's the hesitancy? And she said something like, oh, because dance is a lot. And his response was something along the lines of, yeah, it's expensive. You know, competition is expensive. And I didn't say anything to him in front of her. I waited until she went home. But I told him, like, one, I never want you to complain about how something is expensive in front of your child, because then that deters them of Mm -hmm. not wanting to create an extra expense for mom or dad, right? Mm. Two, I want her to know that anything in life that she wants to do is going to come with work, right? Mm. So if it's competing, if it's cheerleading, if it's basketball, if it's learning cosmetology, if it's becoming an electrician or a plumber or a doctor or a nurse, you're going to have to commit to it. You're going to have to work hard for it and you'll be a better person because of it. Mm -hmm. And that's what I want to teach through dance too. Like, Mm. I don't care if they go on to become the next Debbie Allen or Catherine Dunham. If they're the next doctor or dentist i love that yeah but they will always learn dedication and consistency mm-hmm. in any craft that they take on and that's my biggest biggest takeaway making sure that they understand that you know i love that before before we hit record we were like oh maybe we'll get you some new students and then you were like no i'm full <laughs> <laughs> i mean and of course i'm sure like expanding like you're saying like in this moment but um that to me is such an amazing thing because there are plenty of people who start all kinds of businesses and then they, mm-hmm. they just don't go anywhere. You know, you are obviously fulfilling many community needs um, for individuals, for families, for, you know, this, this 
community around you. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I, I, I just am imagining those like three and four year olds like 20 years from now, right? And like, what are they going to be doing? And then like, you know, mm-hmm. some of them will be dance instructors, you know, in this community. And mm-hmm. some of yeah. them, they'll be spread out all over doing amazing things. Um, so it's you super inspiring. That, um, two of my after school program students when I was 16 are my dance parents in my preschool program right now. Oh. <laughs> so I feel like a dance grandma a little bit. Oh. Um, <laughs> a, young, a young dance grandma. I'm like, right. I'm like super young and hip, right? <laughs> and I'm like, wow, I taught your moms when they were kids. We were both kids, you know, mm-hmm. like. I might like be a dance auntie, actually. I don't yeah, want to. Yeah, I was going to yeah, say yeah. grandma, girl. Okay. Right. I don't want to claim that. But, um, yeah, it's interesting how life comes full circle and how mm-hmm. they they praise me for exposing them with that opportunity and now them being able to expose their child with that opportunity and them having the means from learning the craft. Mm-hmm. So, it, it obviously, like, like, if this was a social research experiment, I would be able to say, like, research shows, you know, like, it, it is able to all come together, all full circle. Mm-hmm. So that it, it definitely makes me feel good knowing that I'm making impact to the community. I it's funny because I I sometimes talk with the teenagers at the studio, and they said something to me last Monday like Michelle, so you're like low key a little New Haven celebrity. And I was <laughs> like, yeah, I know, but I was joking. And one of the girls goes, no, seriously, like everyone at my school is like, oh my gosh, you dance for Miss Chelsea. She taught mm-hmm. me when I was X years old. Oh my gosh, you danced for Miss Chelsea. She used to be my teacher here and things like that. And so I did realize I have taught a lot of this community, mm-hmm. like a lot. And if I hope like their takeaway at some point is that they know that I've loved each and every one of them, even when they're misbehaving and they're not listening. I'm like, uh, when it's most important, <laughs> right? You're not listening right now. I'm not happy with you, but I love you, right? So they know that and they know that they were able to learn something different. What I'm learning in dance right now is that dance is very much so academic. Mm-hmm. It's a lot more academic than I thought. Mm-hmm. It's a lot. So like learning an eight count, yep. training your mind to stop counting after eight, not going on to nine, 10, 11, but starting over at one, sequencing, memorization. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's mm-hmm. very academic. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize it as a kid. I, I don't know. I just... I was just dancing. I just knew how to do that. But teaching those skills is 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 very different in post COVID. Yeah, very different. Um, I had to tell my preschool parents. I don't. Uh, I don't know if you were there, Saida, But I tell my preschool parents, like you guys do realize, like this is a whole cohort of COVID babies, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. They didn't really go to daycare. They uh, some of them are now just starting to start do preschool and things like that. So dance is really their first experience outside of the home with other kids mm. you can't expect them to be ready for juilliard next year like mm-hmm. the fact that they get on stage in front of 500 plus people 500 people yeah yeah 500 people oh yeah mm. that, that that's gonna be 502 <laughs> I know, <right>? they're coming <laughs> like east haven high has 710 seats like we we sold out everything. oh yeah that was oh my overbooked. goodness so that's that's big that's yeah. big for that's incredible oh, give yeah. these kids some grace like that is that's huge yeah so yeah it's not easy to get up on the stage i, I did a little bit of dance you know uh, i wanted to be with the popular kids low-key because yeah. <laughs> everybody was like yo i go here i go here and i was like i feel like a loser i won't go there too <laughs> so, so i did two years but no i i love the marriage of the academia and you know just mixing those skills together i'm kind of interested in like that social work aspect and the the kind of the counseling and how you may or may not use dance as like a kind of like a therapeutic method like a kid mm-hmm. comes in frustrated or wants to talk to you about something and maybe you have them do 15 minutes of it you know you know like do you do you kind of use that in any way in a in a kind of like interpersonal way with the with the students? Absolutely. So a little I a lot of times now in the position that I'm in now as a studio owner, I'm kind of in business mode a lot mm-hmm. of the time when I so when I'm teaching, 
I have to set reminders for myself that sometimes this kid needs a hug or needs oh. a gentle conversation, mm-hmm. not a business introduction to the classroom. All right, stand still. Let's go. We got to get moving. You know, we got this dance to finish. Sometimes it needs to be a conversation about your day, mm-hmm. how you're. I use the load meter a lot with like my five to 12 year olds when I see them come in and something's off. I'm like, okay, where are we right now? Are we in the red? Are we in the yellow? Mm. And they're able to quickly identify that because they're doing that in school. Mm. They're able to tell me like what emotion they're resonating with at the moment and things like that. And a lot of times I'll say, take a minute in the lobby or um, one of my administrative assistants, Ms. Salima, she loves to say, go pull a book out of your book bag and come read to me. Mm. Just something as, oh, as little as reading a page mm. to me of your favorite book that's in your book bag. And they feel empowered because one, they're reading and they're succeeding at something, mm-hmm. even if it's something as little as a book that's in their book bag. And they're getting that support from the staff at the studio. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that one of my newest instructors does that I love, oh my God, I never even thought to do this. She starts off um, her warm up, her stretching periods with like meditating music. Mm. She'll, she'll be playing some Janae Aiko instrumentals. Yes. They're kind of just like med- like rock. And I'm like, you have such a calming spirit about mm. you. She's like, kids are getting out of school, like rushing the dance. Yeah. Don't nobody want to hear all that loud music as soon as you come right in the classroom. She's yeah. like, kind of like a meditating stretch. Mm. And I, I just, I thought that was amazing, mm. especially because she's new to the studio. She's new to the kids. And she's getting that buy-in from them in a different way. Mm-hmm. So everybody has a different method. Um, and like I'm teaching her because we're co-teaching together right now. Mm-hmm. What I'm teaching her is that you have to know your kids and it's definitely equity over equality, right? Mm-hmm. So if I have um, Susie and Susie has been dancing for four years and she understands that when I elevate my voice, it's not because I'm screaming at her. It's because I'm getting my point across. But Sasha over here is a little hypersensitive to mm-hmm. elevation of voice. I may need to go over to her and whisper to her the same message that I would say to Susie in a different mm-hmm. way. Interesting. So you yeah. know your kids and you know what they can tolerate and what they can handle. This has me thinking about, um, I mean, I was always an athlete um, growing up. And there are places that for me were like home spaces um, that were like, that it, it involved more like, learning, personal development, although none of them, frankly, over my whole life in many a sport, none of it was nearly as intentional as what you're doing. But I'm wondering about like, you know, it just has me thinking, like, what are the other things in the, in the community that, that kids are doing like after school that is strengthening families, that's strengthening their social bonds, that's doing all of this work outside of the official educational system? And um, what are some of the ways that that looks? Because we know, I mean, there are plenty of spaces where it's like all business, yeah. you know, where it's like, just, you know, pay your fees and like go do your sport, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but what you're doing is really incredible. Thank you. And honestly, um, I had shared this a couple of weeks ago. One of my like goals, I'm not even going to, I'm not going to put a year amount on it. I'm not going to tell you when I'm going to accomplish this five, but at some point, I would like to not be working full time in the school system yeah. and I would like working my business full time. Mm-hmm. And concurrently, I would love to have like a center, right? So yeah. on one side of my center be the dance studio and on the other side of my center be after school programs that aren't exactly dance related, that are academic tutoring, uh, social emotional learning, some mm. recreational things like that. Mm-hmm. I, I went to the Boys and Girls Club in the Bronx. Hey, Kips Bay. Whoop, whoop. Mm-hmm. So I just remember both of them being super chaotic for me because (laughs) I was the only child and there were kids running around everywhere and that was overwhelming for me. But there was one room in the New Haven Center that was super quiet and low key. And that was my safe space after school to be able to go. Mm -hmm. I know the boys and girls, I don't even, honestly, is it still open? I know at one point it was closed during COVID. I think, you talking about New Haven or? Yeah. I think it's still open. I think so. The Y is open. Okay, great. But aside from those two, I'm not sure that we have as many Mm -hmm. places um, that are inexpensive or free for kids to go and be kids. 
right? And be around other kids and have that type of support that unless you are a part of a academic, um, a sports team or a dance studio that you would, you wouldn't have those experiences. Right. I think that's another reason why kids are so like antisocial now too, mm-hmm. because yeah. We, yeah. if we, if we were in the after school programs, we were outside. Mm-hmm. We were playing with each other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I teach kids how to play all the time because the kids that come to me and say, can you play with me? I'm like, no, let me find <laughs> you a friend. I'm like, you see all these friends right here, but you have, they don't know how. To it's so true. It is. And our college students too. I mean, stuff that, that like even five years ago, um, like we were making zines today and we were telling stories. Like I would start a story in this little book we just folded um, and I pass it to you and then mm. you do a page and then we go back and forth drawing, writing this story, mm. um, which is fun. It's like a fun thing. We are playing and they're not, ha- I mean, it's very serious. You know, yeah. it's, I've been working all semester yeah. and, and just, just barely softening them up a little bit. And to it, get some play. Yeah. Everything to has bring to be that super, back. super serious. You know, well, they're adults now and there's no fun in adulthood. It's ghetto. Here. I mean, but there there's is less. though. There is the <laughs> I'll say, I'll say with preschool kids though. And then we, I mean, obviously we could really truly talk to Chelsea all day. All day. Um, as we know, she's a uh, local celebrity. Um, <laughs> but when I was like, I spent a lot of time drawing and playing with preschool kids when I was a graduate student. And my teacher was like, what is it about all these graduate students? Why is everybody so miserable? Like what is happening here? And um, started to see what happened if we borrowed the kids' state of mind. Um, and we spend a couple weeks with them playing in the classroom, drawing, whatever. And I saw immediately how much it made me a better teacher to undergrads because, like, you're on the floor, you're running around. I'm, like, throwing snow on the slide so they can go super fast. You know, whatever's <laughs> happening. We're playing, you know, it's wild and fun. And that just really loosened me up as a as a teacher and I think the same needs that three and four year olds have, the rest of us have as well. Mm-hmm. We just don't acknowledge it. We also have to eat and we have to rest. And some of us need quieter spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to learn how to interact with other people. You know, people joke about like, I'm not in kindergarten, but it's like, actually, those are the basic parts of being a human. Yeah. 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 I mean, adulthood I is kindergarten to me. Okay, <laughs> adulthood is the most kindergarten setting I've ever been in. People are throwing tantrums, talking back, yes. don't want to participate, sitting in a corner, over a stimulator. Here we are. Chelsea, thank you for coming. You've yeah. been such a delight. Mm-hmm. As usual. Well, I listen to podcasts, but to like, be on one and participate in a conversation was for life-changing. I appreciate you guys. Mm. Well, this will certainly not be the last podcast for you. No. Call me back. I will come anytime. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We love. Any final questions for the social worker, dance teacher extraordinaire? Or final things, Chelsea, that that we didn't talk about. Yeah. What do you think is super important for people to know that you didn't touch on? Because I think you've hit everything else. A lot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Hmm. Maybe the one thing I was going to say, maybe to some of like the social work students that may be listening. Oh, yes, yes. Um, I would say to them that one of the best things I did, and I think you started to touch on this, Casey, was I kind of like floated around in my social work career mm-hmm. and kind of found my niche to know what, where I belong, where is the best fit for me. Mm-hmm. And that will be my best advice to all of them. Mm. Um, like I said, it, it made me more marketable, especially having DCF experience, right? It's not the best. Like, if you can intern there, that will probably be my best recommendation, not working mm. there. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I went to the school system first, and then I went to DCF, I actually learned the process on how all those kids that I was working with got committed to DCF. Like, what is that process? Why are kids removed? What is what is the process of removal and things like that? And how do you rehabilitate to get your kids back and things like that? So when you don't know like really what that process is, you just know the kid way after, it puts a lot in perspective and how you do therapy and how you do counseling and how you serve as a mentor. So that would be my best advice. Get all the experience you can and any dancers out there, continue dancing mm. and remember the three elements. 
being a dancer, an instructor, and a choreographer. It's hard to do all three, but it's mm-hmm. possible if you really want it. Chelsea, thank you so, so much for joining us. Um, and we thank will you. we will share this episode far and wide. Um, thank you for all the work you do. Mm-hmm. Thank you, guys. I appreciate you. <laughs>